account. Should we put this up or leave it there, do you think? Look at that. Can everyone see the plank? Okay, we had some... Uh, that's fine. We had some debate over whether it should be down here or up there. That'll come later in the, in the program. So I think our kids are almost gone. And peace descends. Let's just bow our heads for a, one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, as we spend a moment now looking at... Uh, the most amazing story of the Bible and thinking about what is probably one of the most challenging things for any Christian, any person, I pray that you'll be with us in a special way and that your spirit will guide us and open our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a story of a man who fell off a cliff and on his way down, he's able to just reach up and grab this tiny little root sticking out from the, uh, out from the rock. And as he's hanging there, his, his grip is getting weaker and weaker. And in his desperation, he looks up towards the top of the cliff and he yells out, Help, is anyone up there? And all of a sudden, the clouds separate and this beam of light shines down and this deep, booming voice says, I, the Lord, am here. Trust me. Let go of the root and I will save you. And after a pause, the man says, Is anybody else up there? And that's how everybody who came to the cross at Calvary was that day. Let go of the root. Stop hanging on to what you believe and claiming your belief and give me some kind of demonstration that you really are into this in a significant way. Everybody who came there that day saw God in a different way and needed to make a decision regarding how they would respond to him. Some took the money and ran, and others responded in a way that changed the impact that God would have on the world. Did you hear that? Their response changed the impact that God would have on the world. And everybody sitting here today has that same capacity. So, come back with me and imagine those scenes, if you will, in your mind as we step through the events that led up to Jesus on Calvary on the cross. The Garden of Gethsemane. It's night. And Jesus is on his knees pleading in prayer. Just over to the side are three men asleep at the bottom of a tree, Peter, James and John, his closest friends, his dearest disciples. And they should be awake, praying with him, supporting him, but they're asleep. And a little further off in the distance are the rest of the disciples, also asleep. And as we look down the hill, we see these lights, torches, as a mob is approaching Jesus and the disciples. And as the mob gets closer, Judas steps out from the crowd and he kisses Jesus. Judas. It's not a name that we like because he was a betrayer. But is that what he set out to do? To sell his teacher and his dearest friend to their enemy so they could torture him and, and murder him? I don't think so. 
You see, Judas was a man who thought that somehow his actions could make God move. Judas was a man who thought that if only he could put Jesus in the situation that he wanted him, then maybe he could make Jesus do what he wanted him to do. Judas thought he could manipulate God. But it didn't work. And if you know the story, then you'll know that it didn't end up real well for Judas. He couldn't live with his actions. But there was another man. There was another man there who was asleep on the ground. And, and when he heard the commotion, instantly he woke up. And, and instantly he realized what was happening. And he grabbed for his sword and he slashed out at the nearest person he could see, determined to take off his head. <laughs> but he muffed it. And he just nicked his ear. And can you imagine Peter's response when he hears Jesus say, Peter, put your sword away. Anyone who lives by the sword will die by the sword. That's not the way of life. That's not how we're going to win this battle. That's not what we're about. And Jesus reaches up and he heals the man's ear that's just been severed by Peter's sword. Can you imagine Peter's reaction when this Jesus, this God who he's been serving and following for the last three years, essentially tells him off and rejects his actions when he's just trying to save him? But think of it from the other perspective. Does God need a saviour? Or did God come to be the saviour? Did Jesus need Peter to save him? Or had Jesus come to save Peter? You know, I believe that Peter is a lot like so many of us today. And when I look at all the characters in this story of Calvary, of the cross, I see a lot of myself in Peter. Because I'm also someone who's you know, at times able to stand up and, and speak boldly for God. I'm someone who's, you know, more than capable to go and, and to fight for God's cause. But without letting go of the root, I'm just trying to do things my way, not God's way. And unfortunately, that doesn't work. And so we end up feeling bad because we've been rebuked or our actions have been denied. Or worse still, we deny God when the going gets really tough because we're relying on our own strength and not on God's strength. Just like Peter denied Jesus three times when the cock crowed in the courtyard of Caiaphas. Hmm. Now there's a name. Caiaphas. Not a nice name. The ultimate schemer. Out to protect his church, he would do anything, tell any lies, pay any bribe. Caiaphas. And Jesus was taken from Gethsemane to Caiaphas. And there Caiaphas, the ruler of the Jewish nation at that time, had to make a decision about what he was going to do with this man, Jesus. <laughs> no, he didn't. He'd already made a decision about what he was going to do with this man, Jesus. He had already determined that this man, Jesus, had to die. He had already determined that at any cost, he could not allow this man, Jesus, to live. Caiaphas. Whatever it took 
to save his skin, he'd do it. And if that meant killing God himself, Caiaphas was more than happy to see God nailed up to a tree to die rather than him having to suffer any kind of personal hurt or discomfort. Caiaphas. Whatever the cost, he'd do it to save his own skin. And we might say, well, you know, he, he believed he was acting in the common interest of the nation. It's rubbish. He was acting to save his own patch of turf. That's all that mattered to him. And so Caiaphas hands Jesus over to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Pilate. The man who knew that Jesus was guiltless. The man who knew that Jesus was not what the Jewish leaders falsely accused him of being. Even his wife sent him a message due to a dream that she had had the night before. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man. He's a good man. He's a godly man. But Pilate is a weak man. And so he tries to get out of trying to have to make a decision about what he's going to do with this man Jesus. And so he tries to push Jesus off to a different ruler. But it doesn't work, and he gets sent back to Pilate. And all the time, Pilate's got Caiaphas chirping in his ear, what's Caesar going to think? What are the Romans going to think? And so, Pilate takes the easy road, and he caves in to the popular demand of the moment, and he hands Jesus over to his guards. Now, because of the continual uprisings, Judea, where they were, had some of the hardest, meanest, most callous soldiers in the whole Roman Empire. Soldiers who scorned Jesus, spat on Jesus, beat Jesus, whipped Jesus, stripped his clothes off, pushed thorns into his brow to watch him bleed, mocked him, saying, ha! You, king of the Jews, and then put a heavy cross on his back and made him drag it all the way out to Calvary. But when they arrived at Calvary, a stunning experience changed the attitude of the soldiers. As Jesus died, the earth shook and the sun went black. And the centurion and his men looked up at this man on the cross and they said, surely this was the Son of God. What have we done? How could we be a part of this? And with those thoughts ringing in their minds, they, they went back to the garrison at Caiaphas's court, or sorry, at Pilate's court. And they spoke amongst each other and they discussed with some of the other soldiers of everything that they had seen and everything that they had heard and everything that they felt. And everything that they were starting to question and, and possibly believe. And it was these same soldiers who not just watched Jesus die, but they're also the same soldiers who had to guard the tomb of Jesus Christ. So these men not only saw the earthquake, not only uh, felt the darkness surrounding them, 
But these men also saw the resurrection take place. These men saw a mighty angel of God come down from heaven in all glory and crash to the ground. And with all authority of heaven and all the anticipation of every heavenly being, raised Jesus back to life out of the tomb. They saw it with their own eyes. And these hardened soldiers fell like dead to the ground. before running back to the city to report to the, uh, the governor and to the people there of everything that had happened. Here are a group of people who witnessed and agreed and acknowledged that this was no ordinary man, but this had to be the Son of God who had been raised from the tomb that night. And yet, for a large sum of money, they were willing to deny everything they had witnessed and everything that they had learned to be true. Hmm. <laughs> what a sorry bunch of characters we've looked at so far, right? Who have we got? We've got Judas, Peter, Caiaphas, Pilate, the soldiers... A whole bunch of people who were prepared to deny the reality that Jesus Christ was God because they all had something to lose. Each of them were on the edge. Each of them had reached the point in their experience where they had to make a decision. You either had to decide whether you were going to follow this man Jesus and accept him for who he was and accept him for who he seemed to be and appeared to be and change your whole life and follow him or take the money and run. Take the easy way out. And deny it all. But come back to Calvary for a moment. Because there were some other people there as well. And these people had a very different reaction to Jesus Christ. Because when confronted with Jesus Christ, every individual needs to decide one way or the other. They either decide to accept this man and take the risk to let go of the root, to step up and to follow him and be something better than they've ever been before. Or they'll protect themselves and hide. Every one of us needs to make that decision at least once in our life. So come back with me to Calvary for a moment because there on that hill... There were two other people who were crucified with Jesus. Two criminals who also knew that this Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And they're cursing and they're swearing and they're taunting Jesus and demanding him, bring us all down from these crosses if you really are God. But in a pause in the complaining and the swearing, they hear the words of Jesus. Father, Forgive these guys. They don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're doing. And for one of those two men, those words break through the hard exterior. For one of those men, they have a stunning impact. And he turns to his friend and he says, how dare we? Don't you understand? We deserve to be here for what we've done. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And he turns to Christ and he says, remember me? Please, will you remember me 
when you come into your kingdom? What a remarkable expression of faith those words are. And yes, you can try to shrug it off and say, well, the guy had nothing to lose. He was dead anyway, right? But there was such a total change in character for this man. Here is a man who only a moment ago was cursing and swearing and mocking this man on the centre cross and thinking this man had nothing to offer him whatsoever. And moments later, this man is acknowledging that Christ has a kingdom and that he has a place for him in that kingdom. And Jesus recognises the mammoth and the honest change in this man. And he turns to him and he says, sure. You want to be there? It's yours. You can have it. All you had to do was acknowledge that I have a kingdom and that I want you in it. But that's not the only man up on that hill that day. Because standing at the foot of the cross are two other men who notice what happens. And I want you to notice in particular these two men. Because the change in their lives is amazing. And because this represents the most staggering experience of salvation you will ever witness. Two men, two members of the Sanhedrin, the, the lawyers of the land, the, the rulers of the Jewish church and nation. Two men who should have been with Caiaphas. Two men who were in his closest innermost group. Two men who had worked with him for years. Men who thought and ate and acted like Caiaphas acted. acted. Men who were a part of the inner circle of Israel's rulers. Joseph and Nicodemus. And as they listen to those words on the cross, for Nicodemus, the whole experience of the past floods back and he remembers the words that Jesus had said about only having to believe to be saved. And he hears Christ offer the thief a place in his kingdom and suddenly in Nicodemus' mind, everything falls into place. And he realises that entry into God's kingdom is by belief in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is doing on the cross is all that is required for this thief to gain entry into heaven. And if this thief can gain entry into heaven, then surely Nicodemus can too. And it's that man and his friend Joseph who make the most telling impact on the world. Here are two men who belong in the temple. They belong with Caiaphas. They should have been there accusing Jesus and putting him up on the cross, but instead they follow Jesus and they take him down from the cross. <laughs> what did that mean for these two guys? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself what that one act meant for these two men? These men were really prepared to put their lives on the line for God. All of Jesus' disciples, all the men who had been following him around and learning from him for the last three years, they were all hiding behind closed doors. 
But here are two men who up until now had made no clear statement of their commitment to Jesus Christ. And they go and they ask Pilate for permission to take the body down. And in full light of day, in front of everybody who wants to see them, they remove the body and they declare their allegiance to Jesus Christ and they bury him. What did it cost? Would have cost them their jobs. Caiaphas wouldn't have been pleased with that. They would no longer have been members of the ruling council. They would have lost their position in their church. They would have lost all, if not most, of their friends. And what these guys show us is that if we are really serious about our relationship with God, if we really mean this stuff, then it's time, like the man on the cliff, to let go and let God take control of our lives. We've got life pretty easy. It's pretty easy for us to live as Christians here in Australia, North Pine, Dakarban. It's pretty cushy for us. And we live in a world, a part of the world, where a whole lot of people really don't know who Jesus really is. And a lot of them couldn't care less anyway. And we look around and we say, well, maybe that's because they're complacent or maybe because it's of a material, uh, materialistic society and, and ho-hum. But you know what I think the real problem is? I think the real problem is that there are a whole bunch of people who never really have shown what Jesus is capable to do in our lives. And the only way we'll ever know what Jesus can really do is by taking that first risky step, letting go on the cliff and letting him grab us and make us different people and declare the power and the glory of God to North Pine, to our local community, to our workmates, to everyone around us. That's the challenge that the story of Calvary and the cross of Jesus presents to every single one of us. Every person, when confronted with Jesus on the cross, needs to make some kind of decision about what we're going to do with this man, Jesus Christ. And I challenge you today, take that first risky step and find out what great things he has in store for you. It's time to get real. It's time to get honest with our own disbelief. It's time to get honest with our own fear of surrender and giving control to Jesus Christ. And I'd like to just finish with an illustration that I actually got from a guy called Francis Chan, a brilliant preacher. Look him up if you want, YouTube him. And, um, and both of my daughters do gymnastics. That's true, not Francis' daughters, my daughters do gymnastics. And, um, and so I've seen firsthand just how tricky it can be to, um, to do a routine on the balance beam. 
Now, I couldn't get a balance beam this morning, so what we've done this morning instead is we've got this, uh, this beam here. So just imagine that this is a balance beam. And you know, life, quite often, is a little bit like a routine on a gymnastics balance beam. And every now and then, you sort of, you know, things go all right. But every now and then, things get a little bit shaky. Things get a little bit rocky. And so we think, um, I, I, might just, I might just hold on a little bit. And then maybe we have trouble at school or maybe in a relationship or maybe it's our health or maybe someone close to us dies or something happens. And things get a little bit more shaky. And, and this is our routine. This is our balance beam routine. But we go, well, you know what? It's a bit shaky. I, I might just sit down for a bit. And then as things get maybe a little bit more shaky still, we go, well, you know what, I might just, I might just hold on and, and I might just, I might just do, do this. And we go, through, we go through life hanging on. And it, people are laughing. This is what you look like. This is ridiculous. This is what people do. And you say, I... I'm just going to have my nice little family. We, you know, we're going to keep to ourselves and, and maybe live in a gated community and I'm going to homeschool my kids and, and maybe make, wear them, make them wear helmets everywhere they go and, and I'm not going to let them go outside because the sun has harmful rays. And on and on and on. And we live our lives just hanging on. And we don't want to do anything crazy in our lives and we don't want to do anything crazy in our walk with God either. And so we think, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to go to church almost every weekend and, and I'm just going to give, well, maybe like just 2% tithe and, and I might just help out in the kids' ministries every now and then just because I feel a little bit guilty. And we live our lives hanging on and we live our whole life hanging on and we get to the end of our life and our favourite prayer becomes, God, please, just let me die in my sleep so that I don't feel a thing. And the next thing I know, Jesus will be returning and I'll arise from my grave and I'll go, ta-da, finish my routine. And the crazy thing is, can you imagine watching the Olympics and seeing some girl get up on the balance beam and straddle the thing and hold on for dear grim life and death and then jump off and go, da-da, what's the judge going to do with that? How, how are the judges going to score that? And that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for the boring, I-do-nothing routine because I'm afraid to fall. That's the routine they choose to live and then it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off the balance beam and realise they're standing before the judge and how do you think he's going to respond to that routine? Oh, wow, well done! You lived the safest, most careful life possible. You didn't slip, you didn't fall. That's not the life God calls us to. That's not the routine God calls us to. It's time to get real.
That's the challenge that Calvary presents to every single one of you. How will you respond to Jesus Christ? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, it's with humility and awe that we come before you and we just thank you for your great love, for your great mercy, for your, for your great forgiveness. We thank you for dying on the cross. We thank you for paying our price. We thank you for making it possible that all we need to do is, is believe in you and acknowledge that you have a kingdom and that we have a place in it. And I pray that you will fill us with your spirit, that you will give us the strength, that you will give us the courage to let go of the root, to let go of all the things that we claim to believe and to actually start to give a real demonstration of what you can do in our lives. In Jesus' name.